0: sugar, that's me. Breathless.
1: Scare me Jesse.
0: (laughs) Hello and welcome to Judge Movie, a new film podcast with me, Ben Flanagan, the movie judge, Judge Movie. I am Judge Movie and I'm going to be judging movies and filmmakers accused of crimes against cinema. From Moulin Rouge to Tom Cruise, from online streaming to Friedkin's Cruising let's see if our plaintiffs really do deserve to be sent to movie jail with me as always is cinema attorney Alicia Izumi who's gonna be laying down the law and keeping cinema culture in check
1: hello hi I'm Alicia Um, yes today um, I'm here to talk about my favorite film I've only just recently passed the bar but I want to make my first case the appeal to release the breathless remake from movie jail because I think it's got an unfair reputation and it needs to be celebrated
0: uh, we're going to talk about the film, uh, compare it a little bit with the original uh, by John Luke Goddard, and then we'll round off our deliberation with a little look at the entire outlaw couple genre, because uh, it's something that I'm writing about and Alicia knows a lot about.
1: So, the Breathless remake uh, does have this really unfair reputation. Um, the... Breathless original was made by Jean-Luc Godard. I think, is it his first film? Yeah, his 1959.
0: First film. 1959,
1: it kind of came out and made a huge splash because it was very innovative. It was bringing this idea of low budget filmmaking, youth culture, and it really did change the sort of cinema landscape.
0: Famously, uh, Godard stuck his cameraman, Raoul Coutard into a, a bin and pulled it down the street uh, to make tracking shots, which gave it a really rough and tumble look. Um, they had they were filming without permits they utilized jump cuts where um, they edited uh, time out of shots to make it sort of jump around and make movement change in the same frame Um, so it really shook up world cinema at the time and had a lasting impact all the way through new hollywood to quentin tarantino to music videos that you see now
1: yeah so this kind of The debut of the French New Wave, um, the idea of someone remaking that in the 80s with Richard Gere starring and set in America, um, people almost instantly are like saying that sounds terrible without really giving it a chance. Um, And I feel like a lot of people do come to the the Breathless remake with that attitude in mind. It's got an IMDB rating of 5.8 which is quite quite low for any kind of mainstream film. Critics at the time sort of criticise uh, Richard Gere's performance. Um, they don't really seem to...
0: People seem to look at the movie based on uh, conceptions of what it, what it seems to be as an artefact rather than what it actually is when you delve into it. Um, and I think a lot of the reviews at the time showed that.
1: Um, so from reviews at the time, we've got David Denby saying that the filmmakers keep referring to the original Breathless. They keep scavenging, mucking up our memories of it. Some of the riffs on Goddard's films are just silly. Jesse worships the comic book hero, the Silver Surfer, rather than Humphrey Bogart. He wears a pink sombrero in bed, not a fedora. Um, So yeah, just straight away they're kind of rejecting it for the way it treats pop culture, but I think they don't really have the distance to really appreciate what it's doing, um, which is why we want to talk about it today.
0: So what is this film actually about?
1: Sometimes a thief can steal your heart. Richard Gere gives a breakthrough performance as a rockin' and rollin', hustlin' and bustlin' crook in a film about chasing after your dreams no matter how high the stakes. Uh, Jesse Lee Jack, played by Richard Gere, is a small-time car thief who loves living, Jerry Lee Lewis, and the Silver Surfer comic books. But most of all, Jesse loves Monica, played by Valerie Kapriskie, the, uh, the sexy French architecture student that just, he just met in Vegas. Determined to provide her with the good life, Jesse uses all his rockabilly charm, to convince the resistant Monica to drop everything and join him on the trip to sunny Mexico in a fire-red caddy. With the top down and the woman he loves finally by his side, Jesse feels on top of the world, but no matter how much rubber he burns, there's something that Jesse can't, just can't outrun. As he races faster and faster away from his past and towards his dreams, Jesse must keep everything that's important to him, especially Monica, close by his side, or risk losing them forever.
0: Well. Uh, that description is sort of like the pulp uh, like faux pulp writing style that the movie's almost utilized in itself it's quite absolutely funny. yeah yeah good work from the back of the back cover of the breakfast dVD. <laughs> so stay tuned.
1: Well, I think first of all, people think remakes are inherently bad, but I disagree. I think by relocating a movie and remaking it with a different location and different time period can reveal things about that setting that are interesting because you compare compare it between the two movies
0: okay so what is this the greatest remake ever what are are the sort of gold standards against which we should sort of look at Breathless
1: Uh, well you could look at Shakespeare I think you know Shakespeare's been remade time and again we've got you know, hundreds of Romeo and Juliet remakes. You've got West Side Story. Yeah. You've got the Basilman one, you've got Nomeo and Juliet, we've got Lion King two. You know, they're all remaking it but looking at them all together, you know, is interesting.
0: And most of the Shakespeare stories in the first place were like remakes or retellings of older poems and you know that Romeo and Juliet is based on yes. Tristan and his old and that kind of thing. Yeah. So it is a th- Thing that you kind of can't deny in culture, like we do like to retell stories and stuff. Yeah. So why has the remake become like something that's so horribly looked at? Is it the sort of commercialization of it?
1: I think people do are quick to think of it's a commercial decision, not an artistic decision, but there can still be both. I think there can be both motivations and also when something is so respected, like the breathless original um people are very defensive and precious about it definitely and maybe they shouldn't be maybe they should be open to this breathless remake yes um so with this one i think richard gear was more involved in Rewriting his character oh, okay. because you know he was the star that helped get the movie made, um, so he wanted to be more involved. I think he does try to make uh, the protagonist Jesse in this case more sympathetic, and in this one it is he, you know,
0: he... He's, he's kind of sympathetic, but he's an asshole. Like the whole
1: no, well, I'm, I'm talking about the shooting. Bit, oh, okay, yeah. It? So in the original, he just does it. Yeah,
0: it's very sort of cold blooded. And here we have. Does he sort of pick up the gun and accidentally. Yeah. He sort of implied that it yeah. it's accidentally gone off. Shocks face of Richard Gere.
1: And he puts his suit jacket under the, the head of it like a pillow.
0: Yeah, of course, right. I guess. But it, it does fit with his character because the whole time you're sort of in in the remake shown uh, the character as being very much sort of a little boy, childish, impulsive. So it does it does make sense. But I guess that, that takes away some of the sort of bite that. that um, the Belmondo performance. Um, Mm -hmm. How do you feel about Richard Gere?
1: Uh, I think he's great in it. I think, so people criticise this performance for being too big and too obnoxious, but I think we should treasure this performance (laughs) because, you know, in later years, in more recent years, Richard Gere has been known for playing these very restrained characters with very in control against, like, you know, against Julia Roberts in, uh... well, I've just forgotten the name of that movie.
0: The Runaway Bride? No. The Pretty Woman. The Pretty the Woman. The Pretty Woman, yeah. yeah. In,
1: pretty, in Pretty Woman, he's playing very restrained against her, you know, right. like pixie dream girl.
0: Was that what changed his career?
1: Yeah, I think since then he has been playing the more, you know, restrained lawyers, yeah. businessmen. But before then, in his, like, breakout roles, he was playing hustlers. And,
0: yeah. Toughs.
1: Yeah. Playing, like, wild men. And this is the most wild, the most unruiniest performance of his. Yeah. Um, of that time period, so. it's crazy,
0: isn't it? It's it's sort of the, the kind of performance you'd expect Nicolas Cage to give, <laughs> and he does give it a few years yeah. later in Wild at Heart. But mm-hmm. uh, I I was kind of looking at it and thinking, would you could easily have put Cage in it, but it would have lost something. I think it would have it would have almost tipped its hand hand too much mm-hmm. into what kind of film it's trying to be.
1: Yeah, I think Nicolas Cage's presence is too unconventional. Yeah. Whereas with Richie Gere it's more of a conventional lead.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: But then he's giving it unconventional. But then he is doing
0: such strange things and obviously he's uh coming up against um,
1: Valerie frisky Valerie frisky
0: <laughs> uh as as his fling who's uh, this French Exchange student um in a nice twist on the Goddard uh version where you've got um Gene seberg as the American in Paris Mm-hmm. um this sort of reverses it uh with a french girl in la she gets introduced in this uh, really strange scene where uh richard Gibb bursts into her like um speaking exam yeah is it and he starts uh tearing up the table and like knocking people on the head uh which is the first time i sort of start to think that he's just a complete like tool um much I... as it's a fun scene yeah
1: i guess in that scene he believes he's being the hero because as right. he says he's like he's quoting the silver surfer comic as he goes in he's like to yeah. rescue her so he thinks he's being charming yeah like a movie character
0: but i think he doesn't even realize it when she comes out afterwards and she's like what on earth are you <laughs> doing there she's he's yeah. just okay baby like
1: <laughs> he's incredibly self-assured
0: he is his belief in the silver surfer <laughs> surfer myth is something we've got to get to yeah so strange um, the scene where the little boy chases him down the road going, I hate the Silver Surfer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is... I love that bit. <laughs> yeah, <I> love... <laughs> the first time I saw it, I just was thought that was the most ridiculous scene. But actually now, I just love the way he's taunting him. He's chasing him on his scooter. Um, I think there's something really um, tender about the like close-ups of the comic book mm-hmm. and the way that Richard is staring at him it's uh i mean this is a performance where the camera is like fucking richard Gere with every single (laughs) every time he's there i don't know if it's the clothing and the surroundings as well but yeah he's never been like sexier than in breathless 83 really
1: yeah (laughs) i mean there's a lot well american gigolo but i guess that's quite sinister yeah whereas this is just a celebration
0: right a celebration of richard Gere. yeah okay Um, so, n- n- Kaprisky, though.
1: I, I think she's good in this movie. I think, you know, she's she's great. She's the epitome it's, of like this kind of modern 80s girl. Yeah. And, you know, I believe her when she's angry. I believe her when she's sad. And the, when she's conflicted, she's really torn. And uh, I, I buy that. She's,
0: every line reading sort of a, elsewhere. It's on a different <laughs> sort of planet. Not in the Richard Gere sense, but in... It's, it's like she doesn't really understand what she's saying or you kind of I kind I of felt like, like there's that I underlying
1: xenophobia with um, xenophobia because okay. people like yeah she does have a very thick accent and I, maybe you think she doesn't understand what she's saying but I think she does you know I'm able to go along with it
0: it's not the accent as much as the actual sort of tone and the she just seems so unsure of herself in every all the time and she's always looking to Richard Gere for uh, to like give her stuff to act off of because mm-hmm. I don't think she can do it herself um, there's a and, and the only time that she really feels lively is when um they're in the cafe and he does something weird and then she starts yelling about where's my taco remember that bit <laughs> yeah. and she's like picking up the taco and then she's like I want to go fast which is as close to Richard Gere as she gets but it's only i I, I felt like it was cuz he done something sort of crazy that it gave her that okay. freedom herself and i think the rest of the time she feels
1: I mean, that's part of the movie, you know, he's in another planet, you know, he's living by his own rules, and it's, and she's more in the real world, she is hesitant, so I think, you know, you can make the argument that it works with the movie, you know, she can't quite get on his level. Uh,
0: Yeah, I mean, it it does sort of work, (laughs) and she, they do look great on screen together, Mm -hmm. and they, they have a sexual chemistry, if not like a really sort of uh, acting, performative chemistry, but. I don't think I can call it, like, a good performance by any <laughs> measure, um, unlike the Richard Gere one, which is just so out there that it... And so, not just confident, but it's, it has... It's well-mannered, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it, every movement in it is very, sort of, precise.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I did want to talk about one of the strengths of Breathless of 83 is the way it relocates the themes of the original, so the original is sort of about the tragedy of this communication between men and women. Okay. And Goddard, like, exaggerates this with a French man and an American girl. They don't even speak the same language. Yeah. Or, and, you know, they make it very obvious that see um, the Jean Civa character, you know, she doesn't quite understand. She's constantly asking, what does that mean? Yeah. Um, and there's a bit of dialogue. Um, so with French con- conjugation, the differences between... When you're talking about yourself and someone else yeah it's like it's very subtle at the ends of the words so mm. the verbs are the same but just the ends is pronounced differently yeah yeah um and there's a bit where michelle is like saying you thought i thought you were talking about me and you thought you were talking about you um so it's like playing with that idea of the french language there like they're not even and if you the most recent time i watched the movie it was really sad because it felt i felt like they're just having different conversations constantly yeah, Those, yeah. They, they're completely saying different things and not responding to each other
0: yeah and they're like really lost in the sort of references and and that's another thing that uh th- th- that keeps obstructing them yeah is even when there's a reference point that's the same they're kind of where they're coming towards it from is is different and that so they still can't get it's kind of about the trick of that yeah yeah um, so I feel like that's where the heart
1: of the movie, of the right. first movie is. So in the Breathless remake, I feel like it's more about fantasy versus reality. And okay. Richard Gere represents that sort of fantasy dream life where you can, you know, live fast and commit crimes and there's yeah. no consequence. And the Valerie Caprisky character represents more real life. You know, she has ambitions, she wants a career, She wants. she's choosing real life. And I feel like in the movie, it's putting her in a position to choose between that fantasy and reality. Okay. And then obviously there's the inevitable tragedy
0: yeah when she can't do that uh it doesn't do too much with that though it's so it's kind of like you've got the nostalgic sort of american iconography mm-hmm. the jerry jerry lee lewis the um the cars the oh the scene that always sticks in my mind is when she's tailing him through uh like loads of streets with like murals on yeah which is kind of mind-boggling but it's all just sort of Americana and I don't I don't know if it's is that kind of what what he's doing is just sort of here's a load of imagery and that's the fantasy and that's sort of where Richard Gere always tends to reside but
1: but it does have this underlying tragedy and doom to it and yeah I don't know if we're gonna go talk about the ending Mm -hmm. well I mean if you've seen the original you know you know he dies he doesn't make it Okay. I feel like that is yeah, that's creeping through the whole movie. Yeah. Like you can't survive on that fantasy, but he keeps believing in it and she wants to believe in it.
0: Okay. But it doesn't ever really makes it about her arc, I don't think. Or her decision as much as it's maybe yeah. it's cuz it it's all is it's so yeah. it's just about him for yeah. me like um even that that ending scene which is just brilliant. Um is, oh, so good. I, is yeah. that just another sort of? Is that saying we've accepted the fantasy? Yeah. Is that we've chosen that? And
1: I think that is what it does ultimately go with. Yeah, but that's what makes it exciting.
0: <laughs> it, it is exciting. <laughs> I mean that that scene in which uh, what the cops have the cops have cornered him and uh, they're like, put your gun on the floor and he just starts singing breathless by yeah. jolie lewis
1: yeah so his friend gives him the gun and it lands and he throws it in the air and it lands pretty much against his feet yeah. and you know if he picks up the gun then the police can shoot him dead but um you know everyone's saying don't do it just just you know surrender yeah. but he doesn't he chooses to pick up the gun okay and then it freeze frames on him picking up the gun and aiming at them
0: yeah which is which is a scene that's both that is such an exciting ending but also was only put in there because uh, audiences didn't, enjoy, didn't <laughs> like the him getting shot at the end so yeah. it's kind of even that quite creative ending is kind of marred by or at least it's driven so much by
1: sometimes commercially driven decisions are good ones and this yeah. one is a good one I think also when you're watching it for the first time you can't help but compare it to the original and I was thinking how are they going to do the ending when you've yeah. got the original ending to compare to and, you know they just cut before it happens and yeah. do something else
0: it is it's it is almost like the inverse of the original where mm-hmm. you've got about one they've just walking down the road <laughs> for ages <laughs> there's no blood stains or anything are there as yeah. well but you kind of get brought into it
1: i'm kind of annoyed that someone of the wees has the same ending but it's much more famous right but it does really capture the same spirit yeah great. I guess it's the same in um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid as well. They're sort yeah. of frozen in time. Yeah, as heroes.
0: Or the 400 blows with um, Antoine Donnell's, like, stare into the camera.
1: I feel like that's less of a heroic and triumphant moment, though.
0: No, I agree, but it is a sort of... This is a, um, a turning point or a specific okay. moment that can't be sort of forgotten or... Mm-hmm. Um, in a lesser genre sense than, than what Breathless and Theremin Louise do, Theremin Louise is probably the closest one, right?
1: Yeah. Um, oh, I just love it so much.
0: What, Breathless eighty <laughs> yeah. three. Yeah, and that
1: ending. It's just, it's ins- oh man.
0: <laughs> tell 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 me more about why you why you love it so much because this is your favorite film, right? This yes, is, yeah. it is. Yeah.
1: Um think another strength of the movie is its use of music um, it's a really great soundtrack of 50s music and 80s music which yes. is contemporary at the time it was made um, in you've got obviously the jesse the rich gear character loves jodie lewis so you've got a lot of those songs you've got breathless you've got uh, great balls of fire i think is in it and high school confidential um, and then you've got these very '80s contemporary tracks, yeah, and I feel X like, and... yeah, you've got X doing a cover of Breathless. Yeah, you've got uh, the Pretenders. You've got Dexys Midnight Runners and Philip Glass. Philip that Glass Dexys Midnight
0: Runners scene as well, because they're playing at a, <laughs> at a party that they yeah. go to in like a, um, car, a car park. park. <laughs> so strange. I mean, can you imagine that now? Like Dexies, like yeah. so sort of cringe, but uh, yeah, it is. It is so of its time, isn't it? Yeah. In a, in a positive way,
1: I think right. it's great. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and also the Philip Glass track, um, which feels so modern in contrast yeah. to the the fifties fantasy.
0: Is that the bit where she's in the apartment and she's realised that he's sort of been hanging out there? Yeah, yeah. and she's like
1: cooling herself down with an ice cube. Yeah, yeah. Philip Glass plays, and it comes back quite a few times. The Philip Glass stuff, and Jack Nitch, the composer, um, added extra bits to it, and it comes back at the ending okay. with the freeze frame. But yes, I think, so that, I feel like the use of music there really heightens that kind of fantasy reality, I yeah. think I was talking about, because you've got the 50s fantasy of the American rebel, and then the 80s reality, very modern yeah, stuff. Yeah.
0: Um, that, that Philip Glass tune almost, remi- and the way it's repeated, as you say, reminds me of in uh, Le Mepri by Goddard Howell that uses the same one tune. I can't remember who that's by, but similar sort of melancholic feeling. And it, just, yeah, it always comes back to just sort of signal despair. And yeah, it's it's interesting how it's sort of, um, the sort of punk ideology of the film. It's, it kind of seems like that is definitely something that it's, it's trying to put forward or trying to bring a comparison between like the 50s sort of teenager and 80s punks or, okay. or maybe even like the 60s sort of... Um, the new wave as being like a punk thing on itself or... I there was something going on that I was trying to work out.
1: I think it's just trying to represent its own low culture but celebrate it.
0: But it's kind of nostalgic at the same time.
1: I think that's just because we're watching it now.
0: Okay. You don't think it's like a a nostalgia film in the sense No, it is a nostalgia
1: film, but I I don't know if it's nostalgic for its own 80s culture. I think it's just representing it as a modern...
0: Oh, no, no, yeah, sorry, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that I think... It's representing the 80s, but it's also clearly nostalgic for the 50s yes. at the same time. Yeah, and so there's kind of it's it's drawing a parallel there between them. I, I, I guess I don't know what my point is. The judge has been, <laughs> um, and that's that's where the seam of the murals is really striking to me mm-hmm. because that's that's the old like it's all this weird sort of artworks mm-hmm. and the. They're, it's like they're lost within it, isn't it? It's sort of, the way the f- camera is positioned in those is sort of really distant uh, or mm-hmm. sort of at an angle. It's kind of uh, it reminds me of like L'Aventura or something. They're just kind of wandering yeah. through this wasteland of, of low culture. Um, yes,
1: yeah. There's a really great uh, review from Keith Phipps. Okay. I don't know if you read it, talking about *Breathless* '83. I'm just gonna read because it it's great, and it kind of touches on what you're talking about. Um, He's described as a film with dreamlike intensity. Much of the film's second half is given over to a chase through L.A. First against the murals of Venice Beach, then through clubs, back alleys, and finally the space behind the screen of a poorly attended revival screening of the classic noir gun crazy. Uh, as the fatalistic lovers on the lam tale unfolds above them, Geary and might make love. Taken apart, the moment brings it all back home. The classic Hollywood films that inspire Goddard. Goddard's original film, the endless play of references to other movies in which both versions of Breathless engage. And the film, and the influence of those references in the lives of the film's characters, it's the most meta moment in a film filled with them, but also one so erotically charged it can only be described as breathtaking. For that moment, if only that moment, Gear gets to live the life he'd only seen in movies. All or nothing pays off.
0: Yeah, I mean, that really gets it. I've forgotten that that gun crazy moment is yeah, uh, yeah is great as well. Um, you can feel that the influence of that not just on on Godard stuff, but on on this one, I think. In yeah. that, in that kind of, uh, yeah, the eroticism, and it's very much like a sort of media satire as well, isn't it?
1: Yes, I think so. I think that's part of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, um, but that the way that that scene obviously has, there's a full sort of sex scene there with mm-hmm. them in front of the cinema. Is very different to the original as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Where you just sort of see them making out with lights. <laughs> <laughs> you know, floodlights going on their faces to sort of represent the, the movie, and there's dialogue from this sort of film within a film mm-hmm. that you can hear, can't you? It's sort of, it's, isn't it, saying, Oh, the the gangsters can't get away while uh, yeah. Belmondo and, and C. Hank yeah. are in there? Yeah. Um, would you say that you could see this film if you hadn't seen the original?
1: Oh, yeah, of course, yeah.
0: Um, but what what would you get from it? what was what's its purpose if not to be a rebuff to the to the uh, to
1: i think that's why it's it's a good movie because it can work on both those levels as something that talks to the it's original but also stands on its own as a story about you know lovers on the lam yeah um a life without consequence or can you live a life like that and good performances good music weird cinematography well no conventional cinematography but weird production yeah
0: but then if you have seen the film, could you, I feel like then a lot of people kind of f- feel it's superfluous. Um,
1: I think they're just not being open-minded enough.
0: Possibly. But uh, I'm going to bring in some, <laughs> I'm going to call uh, John Lingen from Slant to the stand. Uh, its own influence is displayed so brazenly that the film's entire end stems from Goddard's precise combination and recreation of his sources. It's an extended homage to a handful of his American obsessions, noir, Faulkner, cool jazz, gangster movies, Gene Seberg, and the plot is simultaneously derivative and mundane. Its technical influence can be seen in commercial independent filmmaking, say nothing of advertising, graphic design, music videos. You can see remakes of it every time you turn on the TV, read a novel by Elmore Leonard or Thomas Pynchon, or watch a movie as seemingly disparate as the born identity. So he's kind of arguing that there have been so many remakes of it. It's such, such like a huge part, touchstone mm-hmm. in our culture that actually having a Richard Gere movie is kind of uh, void. It's kind of doesn't add anything. Maybe. I
1: I mean I feel like there is enough going on in it that it does, you know, people that story is riveting, and so it's okay to watch it again. And it, when it's done so well like this, I think that's yeah. you know that's good
0: you love me now say
1: it it doesn't matter if i love you so breathless both breathless movies are loves on the run movies what's your favorite lovers on the run movie then
0: uh my favorite is the original and the best is you only live once by fritz lang uh starring henry Fonda. It is brilliant. its brilliant um it's got really subjective um, storytelling where you just sort of can't tell what's real and what isn't. Really uh, sort of hypnotic, uh, almost psychedelic imagery with frogs and uh, and and grass and all of this stuff. It's brilliant. It's got such a great villainous central performance from Henry Fonda who we normally uh, associate with being a hero and it's great to see him do something different. It's a noir classic. you got to watch it. Okay. How about you?
1: Um... I'm a big fan of Bonnie and Clyde. I feel like the opening to that movie is, like, the ending of Breathless 83. Like, it's just so exhilarating. They just run off together and the music kicks in. It's great.
0: Yeah,
1: that's cool. So I think that's a good one. It does well, like, balancing the romance with the thrill of the being on the run. Yeah. I quite like True Romance, which is, I guess, Tarantino's riff on the Breathless remake. (laughs) Yeah. Like, that obsession with Americana. Uh,
0: I can't separate it in my head from Natural Born Killers. Uh They're both... Because they're both written by Tarantino, but then it's, like, Mm -hmm. great examples of him giving his work to someone else. Mm -hmm. Um, True Romance doesn't have the same energy to me as Natural Born Killers does, because Woody Harrelson and... uh, And and Juliette Lewis are just like they're just brilliant and it is crazy a bit too crazy maybe, but
1: Okay. I think I prefer true romance. And it is more romantic to me. Yeah. Which I think maybe is what I prefer in natural ball killers, I guess there's that sort of nastiness Mm -hmm. and murkiness there to the romance where it's not.
0: Yeah, I think I enjoy the postmodern kind of stuff, all the satire. Okay, it's not a perfect film, I think does the same stuff that To Die For does but like not quite as well mm-hmm. um, True Romance it has a lot of monologues doesn't it
1: true yeah like
0: too many monologues
1: I enjoy a good monologue <laughs> I yeah I'm, I'm, I'm like ooh what about The 39 Steps ooh. it's a great Loves on the I, a Lovers on the Wrong
0: Movie is that Lovers on the Wrong Movie because they that's like a wrong man one well, more so yeah and the Lovers I think they've got to be lovers before they go on the yeah. run. Um, maybe.
1: I feel like that's an interesting, maybe tangent to Lovers on the Run, where they become lovers while on the run. Yeah. Like uh Buffalo 66, which I haven't seen. But it's But I'm gonna throw that in there. <laughs> and I might be answering. Um
0: That's yeah, exactly. That can't be a Lovers on the Run movie because they're not lovers but they're but it they, leads to it, but
1: become lovers I feel like that isn't yeah that's its own thing but it's sure. still within the
0: what about uh, is it Miami Blues are they uh, yeah are they lovers in
1: that
0: yeah okay from the start no
1: right. he's he's kind of on the run yeah. but which is it's actually very similar to Breathless this kind of madcap performance
0: it re- yeah no it is a similar film it's really and similar yeah the colours it yeah. it's that era
1: sort of heat wave
0: yeah
1: America
0: I think Alex Cox's works similar to both of those as well mm-hmm. it's just that mid 80s like yeah. punk aesthetic isn't it
1: it's so vivid sort of like yeah. neo Technicolor.
0: yeah yeah it's what you'd see in Grand Theft Auto in, in Vice City like <laughs> yeah. totally was riffing on, on the, those mm-hmm. kind of movies how do you feel about Wild at Heart
1: uh yeah I do like it I guess an important part of Lovers on the Run is that it isn't like the lovers want to believe in the romance, but there is this grittiness and this nastiness and
0: if you look at something like Something Wild by Jonathan Demi, then that kind of seems like a rebuttal of my original thinking mm-hmm. because that film is definitely a sort of road movie and a and a crime movie mm-hmm. um, and really nicely switch like plays with like gender and mm-hmm. um, sort of satirizes Yuppie culture and stuff, but they're not. She sort of kidnapped him at the start of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, has what's it? Melanie Griffiths kidnaps uh, Jeff Daniels. So, I feel like it. It is sort of a lovers on the run film, but uh, unconventional one.
1: Yeah, I think it's an interesting tangent on the lovers on the run. Okay,
0: so it's like a subgenre. Yeah, of, yeah.
1: Um, I mean, you've got things like Buffalo '66, mm-hmm. um, A Life Less Ordinary. Again, similar to something wild uh in a life less ordinary, directed by Danny Boyle, you McGregor kidnaps Cameron Diaz, and they fall in love while while on the run right um,
0: i I guess a a big part of it's probably the the person that's been kidnapped or the the unwitting party mm-hmm. uh, do they ha do they have like something that they need to release do they have a kind of mischievous side or Another side? Are they just the ah. a kidnapped person? Are they are they unwitting the whole time, or do they sort of start to go with it? Yeah, maybe that's the key.
1: That I think that is the key to that subgenre. Yeah,
0: yeah. like in, I guess the Thirty Nine Steps is different because because then neither of them are villainous. That's the wrong man one. Mm. Uh, even though their love blossoms, mm-hmm. they're both good. They don't have to like. They don't actually have to become, like, sort of shadow versions of themselves or anything. Okay. Um, Something like Gun Crazy, the Tamara Davis remake, Mm -hmm. or not even really a remake. I'm
1: not sure if it is a remake.
0: No. It's just got the title. It's got the same title. Um, But they don't really go on the run in that, and I kind of... It's got a lot of the iconography, Mm -hmm. uh, the landscapes, and the sort of romance... But really, they they kind of just stay in the one town the whole time until the end. So does that count?
1: Well, they are hiding from the law, aren't they?
0: Right, yeah. Sort of hiding. It's a hideout movie. <laughs> a different thing again to a, yeah. a lover's hiding out. Um, I'm trying to think of what that would f- what an example of that is.
1: I don't I can't think of a lot of romantic hostage movies. Yeah. You don't get a lot of those. What about
0: hostage with Bruce Willis? I haven't the, seen that. Uh, yeah, you don't get like the romantic hostage unless they're both on the run or unless they're take, dragged.
1: I think there's something about the open road and the opportunity. Yeah. Um, that is in itself romantic. I guess there's that fantasy. Okay. An opportunity. The American dream.
0: I think it's weird that Hitchcock I mean you have pointed out 39 Steps but he is someone that plays with all those ideas but hasn't got a direct like Lovers on the Run movie you know if if Fritz Lang's got one and Nicholas Ray has got one why why isn't there a Hitchcock Lovers on the Run movie I'm, I'm kind of upset him <laughs> retroactively for that
1: I don't know if he deals in emotions enough
0: <laughs> okay. he deals
1: with plot mechanics an amazing plot mechanics yeah. but he doesn't deal with that kind of
0: that internal that freedom Right. I I guess the closest maybe would be like Psycho, where she's on the run with her (laughs) bag of money. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I was going to say possibly North by Northwest.
0: But again, it's the wrong man thing, and they're not... I mean, that's a weird movie in itself. How do you feel about North by Northwest? I think it's great. It's just... It's like a parody of a Hitchcock film. (laughs)
1: What do you think?
0: I saw... All the dualities and everything in it are fascinating.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And all of the sort of jokes, but it's just like, it's two and a half hours long. And it's so kind of, I don't know. I prefer charade.
1: Oh, yeah, charade's great. <laughs>
0: charade's way better. Sammy Donan. Yeah, it Directing is.
1: Directing Audrey Hepburn and Cary Grant. Yeah.
0: Yeah, 1963. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's <laughs> perfect. It's a bit. <laughs> It's a perfect movie. <laughs> it really is. But is that a love on the run movie? Could you say?
1: No, because I feel like that their romance is. It is kind of, but so much of their that relationship is about him deceiving her, or she's right. suspicious of him. I feel like he's more. Their their connection is a bit different.
0: Yes, I think you're <laughs> right. That you have to have that. That romantic connection has to be like, I'm sure that this person is going to be the filler of my sort of fantasy. And they have to sort of be wrapped in it together. If there's a sort of... There, there can be like doubt in the genre. There can be like a conflict, of course. But yeah. like,
1: Did you know they remade Charade with Mark Wahlberg?
0: I've seen it. Oh, is it? It's brilliant. <laughs> really? Wahlberg and Thandie Newton. And it's, it's Demi. And it's got like some of his best filmmaking. Really? Like it's so good. Oh, man. Um, I nearly watched it the other day.
1: I was like, oh, I don't want to watch more. No, watch right it. Now. The truth about oh, Charlie. Man. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's awesome. <laughs> um, I mean, Mark Wahlberg is quite badly cast, I guess, but he's no Cary Grant. No. But it is still really exciting. I I'm trying to remember it more vividly. I watched it on a bus. Um, I mean, every Jonathan Demme film is a little gem, isn't it?
1: I think Would that make a good double bill with something wild?
0: Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, any two John Demi films back to back is a perfect double bill. Married to the Mob and Manchurian Candidate. Yes, please.
1: <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of Lovers on the wrong songs. Because right. there's another Bruce Springsteen, Born to Run. Yeah. Uh, Barbara O'Reilly, The Who. Yeah. Different to Sally. Let's go. Take my hand or something.
0: Cool, yeah. Uh Jay Z and Beyonce. <laughs> funny uh, and Clyde. Funny yeah. Clyde, yeah. What do you
1: think about those Lugs on the Wrong Songs?
0: I think it's in I think it's part of the folk mythology mm-hmm. of uh Yeah, of of the, the sort of living in fame or infamy and I think that's something that's wrapped up in pop music a lot. Yeah. Um but I've not like really explored it what's that um, Serge Gainsbourg album that's like a Bunny remake of Clyde. Lolita yeah. oh yeah, yeah well, he did Bonnie and Clyde but I was thinking of the um, Melody Nelson album okay. where it's like have you heard it? it's sort of like a retelling of Lolita and he oh. she dies in a car crash and it's quite interesting it's not
1: Loves on the Run movie I haven't
0: seen it well maybe like yeah I guess they do sort of go on the run <laughs> Well, they don't go on the run, but there's a sort of road trip element to yeah. it. Oh. I mean, there's a big movement against people calling it a love story, isn't there? Yeah. Because it's always marketed as such, but it's... What are you, what are you no,
1: say? I was thinking of The Shaw thing with John Cusack, um, and that's a great 80s movie, but that's a road trip movie. They're not on the run. They're just right. They're just driving. Yeah. It's,
0: it's separate. Like, yeah,
1: it's a
0: um, different thing. It, like, people have said to me, Easy Rider which just no. isn't is it's that's a road trip and Wait, they people have the told run. you
1: that's a lovers on the run movie yeah
0: people said that there's no lovers no i know <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's where it falls out i guess people just go oh it's a road road movie then uh, mm. um but could you say uh my own private idaho by Gus van Sant? um
1: i'm not are they actually on the run
0: I can't remember if they are, really. They're just sort of...
1: I feel like that has a namelessness to it. Yeah. I feel like that could be connected.
0: It's con- Yeah, it's like a sh- an offshoot. Also,
1: the romance is kind of one-sided.
0: Yeah, is it? Is it? I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's not a Lovers on the Run movie then.
1: IndieWire listed it, so...
0: Oh, did they? I think well. they did. But they never do clickbait, so... so. <laughs> um i think baby driver is an interesting example of a film that isn't a lovers is on the run film but uh he's really interested in the iconography mm-hmm. and the tropes of it and yeah. it, and it's kind of like their their aim is to do a lovers on the run but as soon as it happens they're they just get caught straight away and that's mm-hmm. and that's just the end of the film yeah. it's like it's almost like you're you're going through the motions of like what it is to be in a film, mm-hmm. and it's sort of pointless or it doesn't lead anywhere.
1: Are you going to talk about that in your dissertation?
0: I probably will. Yeah, okay. I think so. I think that's where it's where it's going to end up is American Honey and and Baby Driver, uh, kind of the idea that um, if all these films are about people trying to sort of escape from society, and uh, that includes sort of escaping from like folklore and and from uh, sort of conventions of of how you should live your life then actually doing a Bonnie and Clyde has sort of become a part of that it's become a ritual of life so even when you're doing that you're still participating in society okay so that's kind of where um, why those two films are interesting because they're like at this sort of moment that's like past they're past that like there is nothing to there is nowhere to go
1: we've made our case for Breathless 83 yes and now the judge has gone into deliberation
0: I'm I'm in I'm (laughs) I'm in deliberation I, I just want to look at how it did at in the box office <laughs> before I can okay. uh, decide. Uh, so we've got the opening weekend of May the 13th, 1983. Breathless comes in at number two with a respectable four million against Blue Thunder at number one. Um, but I'm just looking at the other films from the top ten that year or at the, at the time. You've got Flashdance, Doctor Detroit, Cheech and Chong's Still Smoking. Um, a classic, uh, the reissue of Porky's, um, <laughs> back in cinemas. Tootsie, one of the greatest films ever made. Valley Girl and Gandhi. Um, breathless is like by far the most out there mm-hmm. sort of movie there, and I think that for something so sort of creative and very commercial with its stars and its music. But but also just so sort of pushing against uh, normal things that you would want to enjoy in a film, mm-hmm. um, including performance. I guess, I th- I think I'm gonna have to uh, clear it of its charges, <laughs> but give it a wrap on the wrist okay. uh, for for its sort of brazen attitude, um, which is is kind of what lets it off mm-hmm. the hook. If he didn't have that attitude, I'd be sending that thing to movie jail. But okay. I think it it charmed me. It charms the judge.
1: I'm glad this m- movie's finally been served justice. <laughs> that it's getting the respect and celebration it deserves.
0: With the verdict in and breathless now, free to uh, get back in the get back in the car. Uh, <laughs> where can where can you find it?
1: Um, so it's I think it's kind of difficult to stream It's definitely available on DVD And a really nice Blu-ray edition Was released uh, last year in 2017 um, It's a really pristine copy It looks great And it restores the gear stick In the infamous shower scene So that's important And now we can all have a look at that Yeah um, It does also. It was also on Netflix last year So fingers crossed it will pop up again um, So yeah that's your best bet To find it if you wanted want to hear further opinions and perspectives and defences of um, Breathless, um, you should check out Kermode, Mark Kermode, um, the critic. He's defended the Breathless remake on many occasions. Um, he is the first film for the Kermode, Kermode Uncut Film Club, um, so he's really made a really interesting introduction for that. Um, and yeah, he's made another video, sort of praising the Richard Gear performance style in something involving the three Bs of the the best Richard Gear performances. So that's definitely worth checking out, and we'll will link to that. It in is. The it's show funny.
0: Notes. Yeah. So check the show notes for all sorts of other goodies from the episode.
1: Yeah. Someone enjoyed the breathless remake. Whilst, would you recommend?
0: Um, I'd probably tell them to take a look at some other. Uh, weird eighties movies like maybe some of the early Jim Jarmish stuff, I think you could probably find a okay. comparison with really? um uh, not not like the style's the same, but I feel like if you're on that level where you're enjoying if you're on that wavelength of Breathless, you'll probably get on with Down by Law or something.
1: Okay. Sort I should check it out then I haven't around. seen yeah. that. Oh uh, yeah, it's really good. Okay. Um I'd also recommend some of Jim McBride's other films. Um, the Big Easy, which has got Dennis Quaid and Ellen Barkin in New Orleans, is very steamy and sort of big characters and like big feelings, um, like Breathless. Um, also, the uh, Jim Jerry Lee Lewis biopic. Do you say biopic or biopic? Uh,
0: depends on the sentence.
1: Jerry Lee Lewis biopic. Biopic. Jerry Lee Lewis biopic. Um, Great Balls of Fire. Um, with Dennis Quaid giving like a, a performance that's on par with Richard Gere's like sort of manic energy, um, so yeah, I'd recommend that. Um, Great Balls of Fire and The Wrong Man with John Lithgow and Rosanna Arquette giving a performance on <laughs> par with, well, not quite on par, but yeah, sort that same sort of manic energy um, in The Wrong Man. And if
0: you had to snog, Mary, avoid uh, Lithgow, Quaid, and Gear in their respective Jim McBride films.
1: I guess I'd marry Richard Gere as Jesse in Breathless. I'd snog Dennis Quaid as Jerry Lee Lewis in Great Balls of Fire. Because he's definitely, you know, that's quite... They really delve into the sort of problematic parts of that character and of Jerry Lee Lewis. I guess it's going to have to be John Lithgow um, in The Wrong Man. Because, I mean, they kind of get our protagonist in trouble in The Wrong Man. It's, It's the sleaziest of the three, but it's great.
0: Great. Uh... Performances Churchill on the Crown, but the wrong man for Jim McBride film.
1: <laughs> I'd also recommend checking out Jim McBride's first film, David Holstman's Diary. It's quite different stylistically, but it's him collaborating with Alan Kit Carson. So they worked together on David Holstman's Diary and then went on to do Breathless. And David Holstman's Diary is quite an interesting film from sort of uh, New York school, um, early film students. It's,
0: it's an interesting one. Uh, so you can find me, Ben and Judge Movie, at uh, Pesh underscore lives on Twitter. Um, how about you, Alicia? Uh,
1: I'm Alicia with two L's. Um, that's that's
0: how it's spelled. Uh, so yeah, get in touch there. Um, you can also rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, get in touch on Instagram at Judge Movie Pod.
1: And yeah, we'd love to hear from you as well, what you thought of Breathless, what you thought of our defences of breathless
0: absolutely um, next week we're going to have a dispatch from Sheffield Duckfest, which took place at the start of June
1: there's a lot of bad movies up there so stay safe